Well, thank you so much, Pastor Sam. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Good. All right. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, welcome. My name is Ruben. I am the youth pastor here, and it's great to be with you today, wherever you happen to be joining us, uh, whether online or whether here in person. Just so glad to be with you this morning. By a show of hands, just, just, you know, just raise your hand if this is you. If you are married, raise your hand. If you have a spouse, you're married. Okay, okay, a good mix, a good mix, a good mix. All right, so uh, a piece of advice for those of you who are not married. Maybe you're dating, you know, maybe you're engaged. Maybe you're like, oh yeah, marriage is, you know, somewhere along the lines I know sometime. Until you're married, you don't really know your better half. You don't. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And it's, it's just what it is. Until you live with someone, you know, see their bathroom routines and how they eat their cereal in the morning. And all, until you really live, maybe you have a roommate and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, come on, you can't leave your clothes on the couch because that's where guests come and things of that nature. Why do I say that? You know, for example, something that I recently learned of my wife and I is that we're quite different from each other. You know, uh, for example, right, my wife loves to be organized. She loves things prepared well in advance of, you know, whatever she's doing. Me, on the other hand, you know, I like organization, you know, and I, and I like to be prepared, um, but I can also go, you know, if things kind of change up last minute, I can go with the flow, and I can, you know, I can, I can, if, if curveballs are thrown my way, that's okay. You know, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, we'll deal with it. That's all right. You know, perfect example, this past Thanksgiving, three weeks before Thanksgiving, I go to my wife and I'm like, hey, Dora, um, what if we host Thanksgiving dinner this year? You know, I just invite some friends over and things like that. And she, you know, took some time, had to, you know, make sure that she had enough time to prepare a meal and get the house clean and all that kind of stuff. And then she said, okay, cool, we'll do it. And immediately I regretted making that suggestion because I'm like three weeks before and I'm cleaning the house and I'm getting, we have to go out and buy a turkey and the stuffing and all these different things. But in the end, you know, Thanksgiving dinner was a hit. We had friends come over. All the food was already pre-ready. We just heated up. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? We just heated up everything and we had, you know, we didn't, you know, we weren't distracted by the food. We were with our friends and having a good time and the house was clean. And Thanksgiving was a hit because my wife, you know, likes to be prepared. Me, on the other hand, I mean, I could probably take some tips from her. Uh, so a couple years ago, my wife and her family were uh, going up to Horseshoe Valley to ski and to snowboard uh, at a ski resort, right? And um, so they invited me to, to come with them. Now, I've never snowboarded or skied in my life before, but I'm a natural athlete, Okay? So I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, I, 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 might, I might make some mistakes, you know, my fall, I'll learn, but you know what, I'll figure it out. It'll be okay. If they can do it, I can do it. So, fast forward to what happens. Anyhow, we get to Horseshoe Valley, you know, and we rent a snowboard, and, you know, I'm taking my snowboard with a group of people that we're with, and we get in front of three lifts. You know, one that goes to a small hill, you know, another medium, one that goes to like a medium-sized hill, and then one lift that takes us to this hill called the Black Diamond. Raise your hand if you've, if you've been to the Black Diamond, if you've heard of the Black Diamond, if you've ridden the Black... Okay, so yeah, so good, good number of you know exactly what I'm talking It's the largest hill that they have there at Horseshoe Valley. Now, 
Everyone suggested to me first, Ruben, you know what? Uh, maybe you should go first, take some lessons over there where the kids are. You know, go take the lessons, Ruben. You've never done this before. But everyone else was going on the Black Diamond. So I'm just like, everyone else is doing this. And you know what? If they can do it, I can do it. I don't need lessons. I don't need to be prepared to have fun. Who does that? Anyhow, I, 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 I really wish that I hadn't said that. Uh, because, uh, so we take the lift up. And the first thing that happens, I face plant right into the ground and we get over to the top because nobody tells you that this thing just keeps rotating and it doesn't stop for anyone and then you just like you start to like you know you know kind of catch yourself and well i ate snow so i didn't catch myself but we got there and then i'm like up on the hill and i'm like all right here we go and then i look at how steep this hill is and i'm like people ride down this thing for fun so I'm scared, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take the lift back down. But then they don't, they have, there's no sign that says, you know what? This lift is a one-way lift. You can't come back down. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm stuck here. And I'm here with my, you know, with Dora and with her family. I'm like, listen, I got to put my big, po- big boy pants on now. I got to just do this. Anyhow, one and a half hour later, 200 odd falls later, I make it to the bottom of that hill. Blue and black and bruised up like you can't imagine. And it wasn't even noon yet. At this point, I'm just like, I am done with snowboarding for the rest of my life. I'm, it's over. I'm never doing this again. That's pretty depressing. And I'm like, wow, we're here for a couple of days. I'm done with this. But the worst part of all of this was that as I was making my way to the chalet on flat ground, there was this little slope. And I'm like, I just came down the black diamond, guys. What's this little slope? I'm going to do a little bit of practice right here because I'm adamant. I'm like, I'm going to get this down. So I'm like, a little slope. I'm just kind of, you know, skiing, snowboarding my way with one leg. And then I, it's a, it's, a, it's a patch of ice. So I slip and I bang my head, wipe out, blackout, welcome, mild concussion. It was not fun. There goes... My trip. So why do I tell you that story? I actually have no idea why I just told you that story. Probably because it started to snow a little bit. No, I'm totally joking. Um, This story is entirely related to our sermon today because what I want to speak about today is about the importance of being prepared. The importance of being prepared. You know, today's talk isn't um, a part of a specific series or anything like that, but rather it's more of a reflection as we look into the new year. You know, for most of us, uh, the new year is a time of making vows, setting goals, you know, promising to ourselves never to do certain things that we did this year, regretting things that we never got to do this year, and then hoping that this coming year will be the year that we get to do it. You know, whether it's getting a license, whether it's finding a mate or losing some weight, whatever your goals may be this year, as you look forward to accomplishing it here in 2019. As I was praying for today's sermon, God laid on my heart an an uncommon book in Scripture that I want us to take a look at before we make any resolutions, vows, or promises to ourselves. You know, I want us to see something that God spoke to the Israelites years ago, and I believe is saying to us today as well. And just consider what it means for us as Jesus followers. You know, being a pastor, part of uh, the job is to lead people into deeper relationship with Jesus. Leading people to follow Jesus, experience the power that comes with just being transformed by the person of Christ in us. 
and just being filled with God's Spirit. Yet it was only once I started my job that I really begin to understand the gap that's there between people and God. And, and this is the very issue. That at some point in history, Christianity became more about rule following and ritual keeping than about being transformed by the person of Jesus. And, and, and some of you who are here today know exactly what I'm talking about. Where you feel like you haven't been growing in your faith. It feels like you have the repeat button on, on Spotify. You aren't being challenged. You aren't, it's like you're in this mundane rut, just feeling, feeling dormant and, and like you're just doing a routine of religiosity rather than a life-transforming relationship with Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, this is because you're not really being transformed from the inside out. You see, years ago, God made a covenant or a promise to the Israelites to say, I will bless you, and I will make you into a great nation, and that the whole world would be blessed through them. And he asked them to be faithful to him and worship no other gods, but they couldn't keep their promise to God. You know, for those of us here who've read scripture, and, and, and especially the Old Testament, we know this, where the Israelites rebelled, where the Israelites uh, worshipped idols, and their leaders were more interested in status, wealth, and pleasure than faithfulness to God. And because they didn't hold up the end of their covenant, God allowed them to be captured by foreigners who surrounded their land. After years of wandering in the desert, waiting to cross the Jordan to get into the promised land, they finally do it. They're there, now kings have reigned and reigned and reigned, but now they've led to a place of their kings that have led them to evil and just worshipping idols and, and things of such. And so the Assyrian kingdom and the Babylonian kingdom invaded the land of Israel and captured most of their people because of their disobedience and took them out of their land that God had given them after years of wandering in the desert. This period is known as the exile of Israel. And during this time, the Israelites were basically slaves. They had restrictions on everything in their lives, including who they could worship. And for the northern kingdom of Israel... They, were, uh, they went into captivity around 730 to 530 B.C., roughly. And Judah, the southern kingdom, were held captive from, from about 590 to 530 B.C. And so we're talking about many years. For most of them, this probably would have been their entire lifespan. So this is all they would have known. And then finally, Scripture tells us that around 530 B.C., King Cyrus of Persia, who was reigning at that time, had a stirring in his heart by God. Imagine that, a secular dude, a dude that you know, doesn't follow God, is not one of the chosen people, yet God is able to use him for his glory. Just total tangent there, but anyhow, he has a stirring by God to let the Israelites go and to rebuild the temple that King Nebuchadnezzar had burnt when he first captured the Israelites and took them. Now that's where we enter where I want to be today, and it's the book of Haggai. Where 14 years of being free and being back home, uh, coming back home have gone by and nothing has changed. The Israelites have been busy with building their own houses, but no plans of rebuilding the temple. And so God decides to send the prophet Haggai to speak to the people on his behalf. And this is what Haggai writes. And let's read together. Or rather, I'll read. You can listen. Chapter 1, verse 1, Haggai. In the second year of Darius the king, 
in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. But the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? He's talking about the temple. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it. That I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. This is the word of the Lord. You see, what I see here is the Israelites were given a task by God. They were given freedom. Yet they were busy occupying themselves with their own work rather than preparing to rebuild the temple of God. But see, right now, you and I are probably in this place of, well, what does that mean then? I mean, they're just not rebuilding the temple. What What does that mean for you and I? You have to understand, we have to understand the significance of the temple to them to really understand what this means for you and me today. You see, because the temple to the Israelites was their way of worshiping God. It was their only access point in which they could offer sacrifices and have communion with their God. It was a key element to their salvation. Without the temple, they couldn't meet with God. Mark Boda, theologian and expert on the book of Haggai, comments on this passage saying this, But to Haggai, the rebuilding of the temple was not an end in itself. The temple represented God's dwelling place. That's key. His manifest presence with his chosen people. See, God's desire was not just build some you know, structure for me. His desire was, I want to be with you. And I want you to know the transformation that comes from me being a part of your life. But they missed that. See, preparing to rebuild a temple would have been a sign of the Israelites' desire to have a relationship with God, to experience His presence among them and the transformation that comes from Him. But rather than desiring God, they continue to live their lives without Him. Hence, no plans or no prep. And see, this is where I believe that some of us are today. I mean, no, we don't worship in a temple, even though we meet in a, you know, a brick-and-mortar building. You take away the building and we're still the church. Instead, when Jesus was on earth, he said this in Matthew 12, something greater than the temple is here, referring to himself. 
And when he died and rose again, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And get this, he made us his dwelling place. In fact, later in scripture, it's written this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You know, you may have no idea what you walked into when you came into church this morning. But maybe some of you have come just for this one thing to know this. That as a child of God, though you were once unworthy, God has made you worthy to be in his presence. And that, that leads to your heart being transformed by him. You know, I believe that the task that God, God has called us to today is to building another sort of temple. I believe that God has called us today into building ourselves into the image of Jesus. Which is why scripture speaks so much about how we are the temple of God and how then we have a job because of that and how we live our lives. Later in Romans, Paul also writes of this, the job that we have of building our lives the right kind of way. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, this is this one you probably know. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What does that mean? Don't be like everyone else. The world will always be attractive. Don't be like that. I've called you to live a new way. I've called you to live with a mind that's transformed by my, by, by, by my presence in you. And so, with that said, if I were to boil it down for us today, if this was taken in you know, 21st century language, this is what I think it would be for us today. You know, you've been busy building your own name, building your stature, building your finances, your ego, your interests, fulfilling all the desires of your heart, but you put mine aside. Do you not know that I bought you at a cost and that you are my living temples chosen to represent me in this world? You are not your own, you are mine. You know, I, I think we all are guilty of the same thing that Israel was of years ago, where we are more interested in living our own lives in our own ways And then we wonder why there's no change happening in our lives. Then we wonder why we feel like our faith is boring. Then we wonder why there's no transformation in our hearts. I mean, Haggai, years ago, this is profound, guys. He says it in verse 6. I mean, just go back there. Verse 6, if you have your Bibles, feel free to look there as well. He says this. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. In other words, you're doing all of these things but in vain. It won't pay off or amount to anything in the end because you're missing the real thing. Church, we're trying to fix a God-sized problem with a man-sized solution. See, being transformed isn't something that happened years ago and happened by a prayer and then that's it, it's done. Being transformed It isn't something that happens by chance, by coincidence or mistake. It actually takes work on our part. Not that we transform ourselves by any means, 
but rather this, that our preparation of our hearts leads to our transformation. That walking into our relationship with God with prepared hearts leads us to experiencing transformed lives. I mean, that's really what what God was asking the people of Israel to do, to obey Him, to put their self-interest aside and start the preparation, the rebuilding of the temple. And I believe that's what God is calling us to as well today. To prepare our hearts. Because preparations of our hearts is an invitation to God to rid us of all our sinful minds and our sinful thoughts and our sinful habits and instead embrace and experience a transformed life. You know the amazing thing? In all of the Old Testament, you can read on and on and on and on and on how the Israelites failed and rebelled against God and didn't listen to God. And it's interesting, this is not one of those times. You read Haggai, just read it. It's just a short book. I really encourage you to go read it. They obeyed God. Led by their leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua. And they experienced the presence and the power of God in their midst. And then years later, seeing the temple fully built. So here's my question for us today. What is preparing your heart look like for you this new year? What is preparing your heart this new year look like for you? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to ask forgiveness of? What do you need to repent of? What do you need to stop? What do you need to start? I mean, think about it like a house, just like, you know, my wife kind of, with Thanksgiving, that you're inviting guests over to. Except here the guest is Jesus. And you need to ask yourself, what do I need to put back in order that's out of order? What do I need to put back in order that's out of order? Three questions that I think that'll help us kind of start this conversation is this. One, what's your attitude towards God? What do you anticipate of God? And what appreciation do you give God? What's your attitude towards God? Do you welcome Him daily into your life? Into every aspect as you, as you, as you consider you know, buying that new thing or making that decision or when you're talking to your friends at work or helping your neighbor with something? Or is it only when you, know, you need something from Him? What do you anticipate of God? Do you live daily out of a hope and faith anticipating every good thing that God desires to give you from above? Or do you have more of a pessimistic, negative lifestyle that leads you to lack faith and doubt God in, every, in everything that kind of comes your way? What appreciation do you give God? I mean, are, are you grateful? Are you thankful for all that God has done and is doing in your life? And do you tell others about it? Or are you silent? And in fact, if no one asks, asks, it probably would go unmentioned. You see, what my hope is this year, as we walk into 2019, to the new year, is that our one promise to ourselves would be that we do what God says here multiple times in the passage, which is consider our ways. That we would consider our Ways that we would consider our ways and choose to prepare our hearts with the right attitude, the right anticipation, and the right appreciation so that we will experience 
the transformative power that comes only from Jesus. And then live as disciples with the power of God with us as we try and navigate the struggles of life. Because our preparation leads to God's transformation. Let's pray. Jesus, you are amazing. Yet, Father God, if there is one thing that is truer than anything, is that change only comes through you. Transformation of our lives only comes through you. And that really, it's your invitation to us to, to welcome you in, to have hearts that are saying, you know what, Jesus, I want you to come inside. I want you to come and change me from the inside out. I'm sick and tired of my old habits. I'm sick and tired of my old ways. Jesus, I'm sick and tired of where I have been. It feels like a bondage. It feels like a weight sitting down on me, and I can't get out of this. The worry has overcome me. Everything around me has overcome me, Jesus. And I want to live a life of transformed mind. I want to live a life that is out of the power of the Spirit. Not being weighed down by anything, but being lifted up by your face, Jesus. And so God, I pray that this morning and that this new year would be the year that the one promise we make to ourselves is that we would consider our ways. That we would walk into your presence saying, Jesus, we've come with a heart ready to receive you. Our attitudes are in line. Our anticipation is in line. And our appreciation is in line. We're, we're desiring to welcome you into every aspect of our life. We're not holding anything back. Because we are not our own. We are yours. And Jesus, you are amazing. And so, Father God, I pray that you would come in this year into every single soul that welcomes you here and that you would do only the work that you can do and that us transform lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you rise for the benediction? You know, Haggai is a very interesting book. Um, and, you know, I, I could have preached a lot more. I said a lot more about Haggai, but... Something that I want to leave you with is this. In verse 13, uh, this is what it says here. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. This is my benediction for you today. That you would know the presence and the power of God's spirit with you. That he is with you and that he wants to work through you. Go in Jesus' name.